Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to tunein.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Broadcasting live from the Hyundai Studio, presented by your local Hyundai dealers. This is Chicago's number one and most listened to sports station. 670 The Score is Chicago Sports. Chicago Sports is the score. WSCR and HD Chicago. WBMX HD2 Chicago. And Odyssey Station. The score! Hit and run with Matt Spiegel, Sunday mornings on The Score. Welcome back in on Hit and Run here on 670 The Score. Hope everybody is well. Hope we're doing good on a Sunday morning. It's glorious out there. The associate producer is in tow. Today, the boss is here today, and me and Sean Sears making uh, baseball a magic for you in conversational form. Um, looking around MLB, there's a guy I want to talk with you about a little bit later on this hour because I heard an interview with him, and the evolution of him is one of the uh, is a very instructive story as to how it sometimes happens around baseball when a guy gets better. We've talked a lot about the White Sox. Let's address the Cubs in the big picture. thought it was very interesting yesterday what Jed Hoyer had to say, and he spoke for a long time about transparency and that being an issue that is taking place in some ways the conversation because of what happened on the marquee TV show on the reporters a couple of weeks ago, and then got written about this week by Paul Sullivan and then Jeff Agrest in the Sun Times. And so maybe Jed caught wind of some of that kerfuffle. He was on with me and Danny Parkins about a week and a half ago. And I think Jed does try to be transparent. I think people do not want to understand the middle ground that they're playing. And if you do understand the middle ground, maybe you don't believe in it. And that's fine if you don't believe in it. But he's clearly looking towards the future while also trying to, like, find some people and build for the now. Um, It's a build. They're not trying to win right now, but he's not going to pass up an opportunity to add people like, say, a Suzuki or Marcus Stroman at what he thinks is an advantageous rate and hold on to them. And use them to help figure out what everything else is and how everything else fits. And here's the thing. They're going to have to decide how aggressive to be in the offseason. And once you understand what I think their mindset is on that, I think everything starts to make a little bit more sense. Uh, Sean Sears hipped me to this. Sean, this is from 
John Heyman on his podcast with Joel Sherman, right? That's right. That's right. Okay, cool. Yeah, so this is John Heyman, um, an insider, obviously, for Odyssey and for for others, longtime guy who talks to people. And we all talk to people, but Heyman talks to people at a very high level and sometimes uh, will drop something in conversationally. And we'll get to that in, uh, in, uh, in just a couple of moments here. Heyman on it's the show podcast with John Heyman and Joel Sherman in terms of the show, making it to the show. They were talking about Brandon Nemo and talking about um, some other free agents who are going to be matters of consequence this upcoming offseason. So as we as we read what Jed had to say before the game yesterday. Here, here's John Heyman. I want you to hear John Heyman first, and then when we read what Jed had to say, it kind of it kind of falls into place a little bit for me. Here's Heyman. Uh, some teams I've heard that could be interested in Nimmo include Seattle, who we talked about earlier, Texas, we touched on them as well, Cubs, who I hear they're going to spend. So that's going to be interesting, something to keep an eye on. They need to spend and get better. And Philly is a team I've heard. They're going to spend. They're going to spend. Look, there's been a lot of conversation. How long are the Cubs going to be doing this? How long are they? Is this a full-on rebuild? No, it's not a full-on rebuild. A rebuild is where you don't prioritize winning on the big league level for like two or three seasons. And you very slowly overhaul everything and try to get your ducks to align in a way that all of the prospects show up together at the same time. And you're overwhelmed with that kind of thing. That's not what they're doing. I've been calling it a build. Okay? A build. Because that's, he's trying to build something. He's trying to build something. And what they're doing is they're kind of playing the middle ground a little bit. The original rebuild was really great. It worked really well to get a World Series, but ultimately it did not deliver the long-term sustainability. And Jed talked about that yesterday. He said, quote, I mean, I don't think any person would deny when we built it the first time, obviously the goal was to be able to sustain that success. And ultimately what we achieved was it burned incredibly bright but it was probably for a shorter amount of time than we had hoped. So we're at a period here where we are actively thinking about our future again. We've built something really special once. I have no doubt we're going to build it again. So they're building. They're building. But what they didn't have behind the likes of Bryant and Baez and Schwarber was the next wave because they didn't draft well. They didn't develop well. And they didn't prioritize it. Then they traded those prospects aggressively. They spent all kinds of money aggressively, and it didn't happen. And now he's trying to build it in a way that it could actually last for a while. So maybe they don't get great right away when this thing kind of evolves, but it can last for a while because they have a good system and sensible spending. Trying to do it all. Try to do it all right here in the middle. And maybe you don't believe that they can. If that's it, if you understand what they're doing and you don't believe in it, then I'm really interested in talking to you. If you don't understand it and you think that they're just doing a full-scale rebuild and trying to lie to you, I, I don't think you're, you're really willing to listen. So we could talk then, too, if you want. But, like, when Jed says yesterday – when making moves for the present and the future are in conflict, we are going to look towards the future. I think our goal is to build something really special. And I think sometimes to do that, you have to take a long view. 
How you guys choose to label that, I think that's your decision, said Jed. All right, well, I'm calling it a build because they're middling it. They're loading up on the system when they can, trading pieces that make sense to trade, and that will mean Contreras. That will mean, if he, if he comes back healthy here in a little bit and pitches well, I think Wade Miley is a, is a sign and flip. He is a guy that they signed and they hope is great, and then they flip him to somebody who really wants a starter and wants a guy who was top five Cy Young last year and hopefully will be healthy and pitching well. I think they will trade David Robertson, and whew, there are going to be some takers for David Robertson. That might be their best piece, huh? Well, Contreras. Obviously, yeah, yeah, pitching side, pitching side. But, yeah, Robertson is going to be very, very appetizing. So let's talk about it because this is a one-year break from aggressive spending. I, I have been saying that. And I'm only more emboldened on this after some conversations of the last week or so. And then John Heyman came out and said what he's been hearing out loud right there as we played for you. They are going to be very aggressive in the offseason. They will be. This is a one-year break from aggressive spending. Money will come off the books, some of it. Some more money will be forced off the books. The DFA moves that you have seen other teams do, whether it was for Justin Upton in his final year or Dallas Keuchel in his final year. You'll get to the final year of Jason Hayward, and they will find a way to end that relationship gracefully and not give his playing time to him. It'll be for somebody else. So, look, this is going to be a very aggressive next offseason. And in the meantime, I think transition time is getting very, very close in this particular season for the Cubs. And what I mean by that is that they're going to be more aggressive about the inspection and evaluation phase here. It's going to ramp up in the coming months. They will try and flip David Robertson and Wilson Contreras, and maybe they'll try and flip Frank Schwindel for somebody or anything. Maybe they'll try and flip Rafael Ortega, people like that, if they can get anything. And they will start to give playing time for other people. Miley might get flipped. They're going to be playing time decisions. That should signal the obvious transition here in this one-year window of just evaluating and not worrying about wins and losses. And the first one has begun. Nico Horner innings at shortstop, while Andrelton Simmons does not play there, healthy, is a big deal. Understand this. Andrelton Simmons, in 11 seasons in the big leagues, has played nearly 1,200 games. He's won five gold gloves. There were several years there where he was among the top two or three defensive shortstops in the game, period, for much of his career. They signed him. I know he can't hit. But if he's playing and he's healthy, that guy would be a shortstop, right? Last night was his first career start at second base. That is a big, big deal. And that's good. And that is David Ross in collaboration with Jed stepping up and saying, no, Nico has shown us enough. So, yeah. Andrelton Simmons, welcome to this phase of your career. Play second base and talk to Nico. And there was a moment yesterday when Nico was on a shift and he does the thing that the shortstop does where he goes by the second baseman and goes to play in short right center or short right field. And he and Andrelton were talking amiably, uh, laughing a little and talking about positioning and stuff like that. Good, good. You got a five-time gold glover there? Ask him stuff if you need to ask him stuff, Nico. In the meantime, you go, young man, because that dude hits the ball well. 
Hit the ball up the middle, back through the box several times last night. He's very much on time, looks very good, and should be playing shortstop. Let's see if he's an everyday shortstop in the big leagues. Oh, what a boon that would be. And if you go out and you get Carlos Correa in the offseason, well, then Nico can play somebody else. You'll worry about that then. But right now, you let that kid play shortstop. Let him feel himself in full. Love that. Here's my question to you, Cubs fans, at 312-644-6767. What are the next few moves in that kind of vein? Here we are in the transition time just about now and certainly in the next couple of months. Tell me who you want to see play instead of that person. Give me the specific scenario, like Horner over Andrelton Simmons at shortstop. What is the uh, the next one after that and the next one after that the next three or four or five and they could be guys who aren't even here yet in the big leagues let's talk about that at 312-644-6767 because those decisions will be made and i'm reminded of what a texter said last week and i loved it whoever you are if you're out there thank you you made me giggle you know you remember when um, mr miyagi is going wax on wax off and he's talking about putting car wax on but really he's talking about you know, how it builds and it wanes. Waxing and waning. Waxing and waning. Waxing, it builds. Waning, it falls. Seeing talent wax as opposed to talent wane is how the texter put it last week. Let's see some young talent wax, shall we? Instead of some old talent waning. And then it's easier to understand what you're doing and easier to see the glimpses of what you're doing. Now they're not going to win this year. They're not going to be a playoff team this year. But if they have a nice aggressive offseason, if they use this year effectively here in the inspection and evaluation phase, figure out what you have. Trade some that you can. Keep some that you can. You put it all together, bing, bang, boom. By next year, it should be a much better situation where you know more about the guys you're using, you've made the good decisions, and you've uh, aggressively added as money has fallen off the books. 312-644-6767. Your phone calls and texts on the Cubs continuing. A little bit later on, that story I mentioned about uh, one of the best in the game. But right now we're interactive this hour on Cubs stuff. 670, the score is where you are. It's Spiegs on Hit and Run. Keep it right here. Hit and Run with Matt Spiegel. Sunday mornings on the score. Main thing about Nico is uh, he can't sit still in his downtime. He was, you know, taking batting practice every day in the cage, hitting the field uh, when he could as soon as the, the ankle started feeling better. Um, you know, he's a workaholic, and you don't feel like – somebody like that that gets so much work in has to go on some rehab assignment and then we put him in in Cincinnati the first day he's active and he gets a uh, you know ninth ninth inning knock a um, couple hits uh, leaving Cincinnati and then today right off uh, right off the uh, off day into into three hits so um, he feels really good uh, timed up he worked off the machines and live BPs and doing a lot of stuff in his downtime to keep him ready and that's why you're seeing the results he's a hard worker. David Ross on Nico Horner. 670 the score is where you are. Nico looking good last night. Heard, um, as I was uh, on the way home from the ballpark, heard uh, Pat and Ron right here on 670 the score talking about Nico. And um, Pat has seen so many games, so many at-bats, and mentioned something like, 
Because Nico hit like three of them right up the gut and said, Ron, it, it always seems to me that when a batter is hitting them consistently right back through the box on a line that they're really on time. Is that fair to say? He asked the former all-star, the excellent Ron Coomer, good hitter in his day, guy who learned hitting from his mentor, Carlton Fisk, among others. And Coombe said, absolutely. It means you are on time with your mechanics, means you're locked in. On the pitcher, there were different kinds of pitches that Nico was doing that with. He's a good hitter, and I'm glad to see him getting his time. 312-644-6767 is the phone number. Jim Deshays at the top of the hour. All kinds of conversation coming your way. We have a White Sox lineup for their game against the Cubs. We do not have a Cubs lineup yet, but as soon as we get it, we'll give it to you. After the show today, I'm done at noon. Cody Decker will be here with Down the Line from 12 to 12.30. Cubs at White Sox pregames. Pre-game begins at 12.35. Zach Zaidman with the pregame, and then Pat Hughes, Ron Coomer with the broadcast, and it's such a good one here on the Score and the Cubs Radio Network a little bit after 1 o'clock. Let's go to the phones, talk to Rocco in Cicero, who's on the Score. Rocco, good morning. You're on Hit and Run. How are you? Good morning. How are you guys doing today? Terrific, thanks. All right. You know, uh, I uh, I like what I saw from uh, and I and I hope I'm getting his uh, his his a name right um, a marmo that played center field last night Morell uh, Christopher Morell yes yes, yes. yes. Yeah. I would like to see him stay there he gives uh, along with Horner you know they're, they're young they're hungry uh, they bring some excitement to the lineup uh, and I personally feel that uh, you know I was really sort of broken hearted when they broke the team up but I love this positional uh, situational hitting that they have going on and uh, if they can you know uh, keep that going uh, and do that on a consistent basis I think the missing link for this team to be uh, in, in, uh, in a competitive mode is just a couple of stud pitchers I'm I'm uh, love uh, Wilson Contreras because uh, you've got catchers uh, all over the league, but very few that can hit for power, that can take command of pitchers, that can throw runners out. But if we can uh, get a quality stud every day, six, seven inning pitcher for him, uh, you know uh, that's what I would like to see. I think starting pitching is uh, is a thing that uh, keeps them from breaking the top three in that uh, in that um, in that division. Thanks a lot. Thanks for the call. Yeah, I think they're further away than just that, but it certainly uh, would be a good thing. Yeah, you'd love to get a, a solid starting pitcher for Contreras. You'll get prospects for Contreras, and probably multiple, and or it depends on how few you want to take. I think you'll get a very, very good prospect at the top of a package for Wilson Contreras. And if you're wondering why you would trade a catcher who's 29, is Contreras 29 or about to be 30? Just turned 30. It's because paying catchers at that age is a very risky proposition. It just is. Maybe Contreras is that catcher who's going to age well. Um, let me ask you this. Is he as good as Buster Posey? Is he as good as Yadier Molina? Those catcher contracts aged very well. Is is he more like Joe Maurer? 
Um, and physically, Joe Mauer ended up playing a lot of first base, and his contract was an albatross for a long, long time. Um, there, there are. It, it's very risky to pay a catcher at that rate for years to come. Now, I don't know. Maybe he would take a shorter deal, and maybe those things will be considered. But I, I do think, I do think we've also learned. If you've paid attention, you've learned that. There's some things about the way Wilson goes about it that they don't love quite as much as maybe you do or you think that they would or you think that they should do. They sure don't love his pitch framing. It's gotten a lot better. His overall defense, yeah, the the arm and the gun and the intensity and the passion, I think they do like that. Do they love his leadership? I, I, I don't know. Last year when... Wilson said that stuff about he and Baez playing a certain way and it was anti-Rizzo and, you know, and David Ross came out and came, came hard at Wilson a little bit, said, you know, Wilson's got to say that in-house. It's not like they just kind of embraced Wilson saying it. I, I, I'm, I'm just saying, like, you may look at everything regarding Wilson and saying that's a positive, that's a positive, that's a positive, and they don't. I, I don't think that they do. Now... I, I, so I, I just think that it also just makes all the sense in the world with the timeline that that Wilson is just it's he's he's going to roll and Jan Gomes will be here a very solid defensive catcher who can hit a little bit and a guy who fits a little bit more with what they want that demeanor of that catcher to be. Remember some 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 pitchers don't choose to pitch to Wilson, they choose not to. It's like you remember Darvish didn't pitch to Wilson. Um, a, f- a few others have, have chosen not to because the the energy and, and the movement just doesn't work for some of them. So I think they, they might be more inclined to have a, a quieter presence behind the plate. Money is coming off the books at the end of this year. Right now it's 147 mil in terms of total payroll allocations. Next year it's 105. So there'll be a lot more money available and also – Jason Hayward probably going to end up being a DFA before opening day next year is what I suspect. We'll see. But that would be, you know, that doesn't clear that money off the books, but that would be a sign that they're willing to eat it and move on and do what they need to do. So I suspect that that will happen. If not this year, then it will happen next year in the spring. Something like that. 312-644-6767 is the number. John in Minnesota, you're on Hit and Run. Good morning, John. Um, Matt, first of all, love the show. Um, appreciate the fact that you're still doing this, uh, even though you've got the weekday gig. But I- I'm a frustrated Cubs fan um, who doesn't really trust the, uh, especially this ownership group. And-, and I go back to this, you know, when you look at at the Darvish trade right now, you know, right now Hugh Darvish is making $19 million a year. Um, you know, we're paying Stroman 25. Next year he's making $18 million a year. We're paying Stroman 25. Um, you know, that's $13 million. Plus they paid Kyle Davies $9 million last year. So mm-hmm. really, um, you know, it, it's a push. And, you know, I, I think the Cubs are a, you know, they're a major market team. And it, we should be comparing them to the Dodgers and the Yankees. I mean, the Dodgers paid Mookie Betts $300 million during COVID. So I, I just, I don't understand that part of it. I don't have a ton of confidence. And, um, yeah. you know, I, I well, hope well, let's, it changes. But, let, let's but, talk, John. Let's talk, let's talk a little bit. They decided from a baseball perspective, um, and yes, there is financial perspective in there too, and I, I totally understand. But they really did decide from a baseball perspective 
that they weren't good enough as an organization to just keep throwing good money after bad the way that the Dodgers do, that the way that the Yankees do, the way that other ones do. Even the Padres, who've signed big people and made big deals, they had a loaded farm system for a while there, and they used those guys, used those assets. The Cubs were barren, man. They really screwed it up. They really screwed up the drafting and the developing to the point that they realized if they were just going to keep spending and keep spending, it was just it was going to get really ugly from a very long term perspective um, and last a while. They're trying to make it not last a while. Does that make sense? I I, I totally get that, and, and I'm I'm down with them with the deals they made made last year. Um, but but you had Darvish under control for two more years. And you're getting what you could have got, what you what you ended up signing Stroman for. So yeah. it doesn't that that move made no sense to me. The other move that made no sense was just letting Schwarber walk when you could have, you know, he got he got 11 million dollars for the Nationals. They they could have re-signed him on arbitration for nine million, and you didn't even get a draft pick. Yep, so they those struck are out. Not sharp, yep. nice moves. Yeah, you know, you are completely right on those two moves. I I cannot, I would not dispute the Darvish one. There is an unmistakable big financial component to it that drives you crazy. I get it. I wrote about it at the time. I wrote the Darvish thing, wrote that this was a consequence of them waiting too long to make any decisions on the, uh, on the position players. And it was right then you knew that signified what was coming. The, the the Darvish deal signified what was coming. They had made the decision right then that they were not good enough. And then they went out and gave themselves a chance uh, last year, and it got proven that they weren't good enough. They had, they, they had absolutely made that decision. So then here you go. With everything else that follows, it all kind of makes sense. But the Darvish one caught people by surprise. And the amount that they got from San Diego felt underwhelming. Now, Owen Casey has been really, really good uh, in the minors and aggressively assigned. And we'll see if he climbs his way through and climbs his way up and how fast that happens. But, yeah, that one, it, it signified it in a way that people were not ready to accept at the time, 100%. And then the Schwarber's a miss. I, the, the, like, they waited – and we're hoping that he would adjust and evolve, and it didn't happen. And then he got to Washington, and Kevin Long worked with him there, and bing, bang, boom. And now he's in Philly. I haven't looked at overall Schwarber's numbers um, right now. I thought he was going to have a big, big year. I'll look at him here in a minute. But I, I was asking you guys, what are the next few moves, the next few things that they uh, would do to signify the transition here? I think Caleb Killian coming up and giving you innings on the big league level and giving himself a chance, and Killian is part of the haul from the Chris Bryant trade. Caleb Killian, Alexander Canario. If you see Killian, who's been terrific at AAA, come up, I want to see him get innings instead of Alec Mills. You know, if Alec Mills is going to be ready at some point, okay, have him be in the bullpen as a mop-up guy. That's fine. I want to see Keegan Thompson and Caleb Killian getting innings in my rotation. We have Jed Hoyer talking about Caleb Killian because he's been coming up, and he's not going to be up here this week as part of uh, some doubleheader coverage, but maybe it'll be soon. 
Yeah, I mean, we, we talked about a number of, of guys. Listen, I think Caleb has been fantastic ever since we got him. Um, Going to the fall league and did a great job because of the fall league. We, we sort of took it slow with him um, in spring, and we've continued to do that. And uh, you know, I you know I don't think his, his development is done yet. I think there's a, there's there are more steps, and there's probably development that'll happen when we get up here. Um, but we've had good conversations with him about um, his timeline. I think he knows you know he knows where where things are and where things stand. And um, you know we're excited to have him. So uh, yeah, there was discussions about it, but ultimately. Um, you know, like I said, Kale, Kale, we've talked to Kale. He knows where, where, where we are um, as far as um, his progress and his development. And, um, you know, I think he's, we're in a good place. So Caleb Killian will be coming. He will uh, be coming, but just not directly. Uh, Kyle Schwarber's hitting a buck 85. Uh, buck 85, that's not good. He does have 10 home runs, so he's still mashing uh, with the power. But last year, that OPS was above 900. It was like 920 overall with two teams last year, including Washington and Boston. And this year, not so much. So we'll see how bad that one looks long term. I'm just I'm a believer in Schwarber, but you know I've been known to get uh, suckered in to certain guys that look like they're going to be Babe F and Ruth. I I'm I'm right there. I admit my emotional pull. On, uh, on Kyle Schwarber. So when he broke out last year, I think I think I was going to take him in the scores home run derby too, and I did not. Ten is a pretty good number. Ten is a pretty good number as far as the home runs go, but not some of the other stuff. So, uh, yes, I would like uh, Killian. I would like uh, Killian to play. I would like Christopher Morell to play, like the caller said. Absolutely, I would like to see that. And in fact, I have lineups for you for today's ball game. I'll give them to you in a matter of moments when we come back on Hit and Run. Breaking news on the scores brought to you by the Beat the Streak podcast. Get an inside edge on how to win the $5.6 million prize every day this baseball season. Listen on Odyssey or wherever you get your podcasts. Hit and Run with Matt Spiegel, Sunday mornings on the score. Jake Berger launches one deep to left, and it'll get out of here. Sox are on the board. It's three to one. Jake Berger with a blistering home run last night, and he's in the lineup batting third. Batting third for the Chicago White Sox. It's Matt Spiegler with you on Hit and Run and 670 The Score. Jim Deshays at the top of the hour. Here's the lineup for the White Sox against Marcus Stroman. Stroman been very, very good in his last four starts overall. Stroman will face Tim Anderson hitting first, batting 354. Andrew Vaughn hitting second for the White Sox. Jake Berger, as I mentioned, hitting third. Jose Abreu fourth. Yasmani Grandal is the DH hitting fifth. Gavin Sheets is the right fielder hitting sixth. Adam Engel is your center fielder who made a great catch late last night. Stealing another home run. He's so good at that. He hit seventh. Reese McGuire's the catcher, hitting eighth. So McGuire will catch Dylan Cease. Um, that has mostly been Grandal. I think McGuire's only caught Cease once on the year, but we mentioned earlier some of the batting average against numbers much, much better for White Sox pitchers when Reese McGuire is back there as opposed to Grandal. And Josh Harrison is in the lineup, hitting ninth. That's better than second. Uh, Josh Harrison hitting ninth, batting 174. Tony La Russa has this thing about putting people in positions that they don't necessarily deserve. 
in hopes that they gain confidence and outperform themselves and it will lead to them feeling emboldened and stronger and better during the course of the year. And I get it. It's a classic managerial move, and it certainly worked for Tony, but I think he's lost the feel for doing it very well. That's, you don't need to see Johnny Cueto in the seventh at all. You don't need to see um, Josh Harrison in the two-hole at all, or Leary Garcia, for that matter. So Vaughn in the two-hole makes a lot more sense. Cubs lineup is in as well against Dylan Cease. Christopher Morrell will play center field and lead off. Morrell, it's only, I think, 42 at-bats, but, boy, he's got fun bat speed and, obviously, explosive energy and a terrific presence at the top of the lineup. There's a lot of swing and miss in the profile. We've actually seen a, a decent amount of success so far. Hitting 314, some of the other numbers look good. I don't know if there's long-term utility here, but I do know that he has so many tools and he's so um, energetic and passionate that I would give him a chance until it doesn't work. You know, and then I'd probably even give him a little more of a chance after that. See if he can adjust to the inevitable adjustments. I'm enjoying seeing Christopher Morell there, and I know some of you are as well. So Morell's playing center and leading off. Wilson Contreras is your two-hitter and your DH today. Ian Happ in left. Frank Schwindel gets the start at first. No Antonio Rivas in this lineup. Patrick Wisdom will bat fifth and hit uh, play third. Rafael Ortega in right field. He threw somebody out yesterday. Was it Grandal that he threw out? On the horrific send by Joe McEwing. Yeah, he was dead there. Oh, my God, was that a terrible send. And LaRusso said afterwards he liked it. When you're struggling, you got to push. You got to take chances and do it. Do you? Do you now? Oh, man. Joe McEwing and Daryl Boston. Not effective members of a coaching staff, in this opinion, right here. Nico Horner hits seventh. He hit ninth last night. He's up to hitting seventh tonight, playing shortstop again, I should say, today. P.J. Higgins is your catcher with um, Contreras DHing, and Andrelton Simmons. Andrelton Simmons plays second for the second time in his life, the nine-hitter, Andrelton Simmons. Boy, he looks terrible at the plate. It's hard to watch him at the plate. It's like this weird corkscrew inside-out swing for everything that he does doesn't seem uh, to make much sense to me. But a terrific defensive shortstop who's, of course, now playing second base because Nico Horner's playing short as he should. 312-644-6767. Um, before I take a phone call, I wanted to mention this. was listening to a podcast, a starting nine. Jake Arrieta's on that podcast these days. He's hosting it. They had his old friend Kevin Gossman. On. Kevin Gossman of the Toronto Blue Jays. Just absolutely brilliant pitcher these days. And I share this uh, for a couple of reasons. One, I have always wanted Gossman and coveted Gossman. Um, a few years ago, several years ago, during the Cubs rebuild, had an opportunity to talk uh, with Theo and with Jed Hoyer and mentioned to Theo, I think it was a, during a commercial break, when we did uh, one of those Joe's Stone Crab luncheons um, back then. But I said, hey, this Kevin Gossman, are the Orioles going to give up on him? And Theo said something like, oh, everybody wants him. Everybody wants him. Because the Orioles were really stupid. They were really bad at the time. That's why they gave up Jake Arrieta for uh, Steve Clevenger and Scott Feldman. Oh, and Pedro Stroke, too. But, and, and they didn't know what the hell to do with Kevin Gossman. And so I've always known that there was something in there to unlock. But how it happened is amazing and instructive. The happenstance of it and just... You know how it has to work. Three different brain trusts 
is what Kevin Gossman went through. He said, and I was listening to him on the podcast, good stuff. He said the Orioles didn't have the data. They were lost and they were helpless. Eventually got traded from Baltimore. Okay. I don't know if Baltimore is still that way, but I sure as hell know they were that way in 2012, 13, 14. He got traded to Atlanta. Atlanta said, okay, hi, we've been watching you. We'd like you to pitch up in the zone. Use your fastball and your split finger fastball predominantly. Use those two pitches predominantly and pitch up in the zone. That is light bulb number one. Had some success there. Had an injury, some mediocrity, eventually a designation for assignment. So Atlanta got some good stuff out of him, but eventually decided they wanted to go other directions. The Reds grabbed him and put him in the bullpen because the Reds at the time had a, had a, a rotation with Trevor Bauer and Sonny Gray and Luis Castillo and Alex Wood and Anthony DiSclefani. They didn't have room for him. So they put him in the bullpen and they said, look, while you're in the pen, do what you've been doing. Pitch up in the zone. And all we want you to do is throw fastball and split finger. That's it. Just those two pitches together. He had a curveball that was mediocre, had a slider, had a change, always had mixed it up his whole life. And they said, just use these two pitches, okay? And he dominates in the bullpen for Cincinnati. Dominates. And then he's a free agent. And the Giants come calling and say, we want you to do exactly what you did in Cincinnati, but we want you to do it as a starting pitcher. And he said, but I can't just stick with those two pitches. And they said, you know, we think you can. We think you can be a starter with only those two pitches. Maybe you'll eventually mix stuff in, but just concentrate on that. He doesn't think it's enough of a repertoire. He, he pushes back, and they say, look, it's rare, but some people can be a two-pitch guy. If the tunneling is perfect, if the pitches look exactly alike, and they're good enough, and we think yours are. And then what did Kevin Gossman do in San Francisco? He absolutely dominated. It completely unlocked a whole new career for him. Those two pitches are the template. He signs a massive free agent contract in Toronto. He's dominating in Toronto. He's still using those two pitches. He mixes a slider and a changeup in a little bit every once in a while, but he attacks with fastball and split. That's it. And guess what? Right now, he is completely his own guy, just like Giolito had to go out and become, just like a lot of these pitchers, the CEOs of their own corporation. Kevin Gossman doesn't ask Toronto for anything. He uses Codify, and he gets hot sheets from Codify, heat maps. And he doesn't really talk to Blue Jays pitching coaches, Blue Jays pitching infrastructure. He's a finished product with his outside help. And if anything goes wrong, then maybe he'd ask inside, or he'd ask the Codify people, or he'd go to whoever if something goes wrong. But for right now... He is just on fire and is his own guy. But think about that. Think of the happenstance in there. Think of the Orioles giving up, then a trade. Atlanta giving up a DFA. Reds putting him in the bullpen. Giants saying, do that, but do it as a starter. That's three different brain trusts of three different organizations and the happenstance of a career. And that's how you find an ace sometimes. Isn't that crazy? That's insane. Just the fact that he got DFA'd from Atlanta and then found two more opportunities. Yep. Because the arm was good. So, man, it's hard. It's really hard. As much as we bitch about pitching infrastructures and we want organizations to do it, I want them to be great. I wish uh, the Giants was the model for everybody and, and the Dodgers as well. But sometimes it takes a village. And that means like three different teams. This is Rich in Old Town on 670 The Score. Hi, Rich. Good morning. 
Morning, guys. Love the show. Uh, I wanted to uh, talk about the White Sox. Uh, both teams, to me, are disappointing and down. But here's something that really bothers me. They're a 500 team now, and you look at their next 31 games, which I did, the upcoming games, June, July, and that's obviously before the All-Star break. The trading deadline is August, but just to get a peek at that, 21 of the 31 games are against division-leading teams. The next 31 games, so yeah. I don't see it getting any better. And if you're going to DSA anybody, how about Larusa? <laughs> yeah. Managers uh, don't I'm get good. DFA'd, but yeah, he he's not going anywhere unless he yeah. wants to go somewhere, Rich. No, no, I understand that, but I got to tell you something. If they're 500 at the All Star break, and I think I don't see them as a playoff team right right now. Forget the Cubs; everybody knows about that. Hmm. They're building an organization, and I guess everybody needs to be patient. But but the White Sox have got the kind of talent to win now. And I don't see it turning around anytime soon. And my question is, and I'll get off the air and you can talk about it, because I've talked to Sean about this too, is what are they waiting for? I mean, Reinsdorf isn't stupid. And I think a change of management, as you know, shakes up the team a little bit because I think they, they look lethargic. They look very lethargic. Our guest Ryan McGuffey last hour called them uninspired. That's absolutely what it has looked like. And, you know, there's a lot of guys underperforming uh, on the field for sure. Um, but overall, yeah. Woo. And, and t- I told you, I said at the top, any other manager in the universe would be on a boiling hot seat. And it's tough to sit on water when it's boiling hot. I keep messing up this metaphor like a freaking champ. They... But I'll work on it. You know, maybe the seat is submerged in water that is boiling, but the seat is still available to sit on like a, like a bar stool at a swim-up bar. Shall we, shall we? See, that works. That's there. And you know what? I'd like to be at a bar stool at a swim-up bar today. Be very nice. This is John on the road on 670 The Score. Hello, John. Hi. Good, uh, good afternoon or morning, whatever yes. it may be. All of it. All of it. Before I say what I'm going to, and I think you'll find it interesting, uh, I just want to say I've never spoken to you on the air, but I have followed your career, and I truly, truly enjoy. I'm so sorry that you were uh, your position changed there for a little while, but I was so glad to see you back. That's very kind of you, John. Thank you. I'm a, I'm a very very lucky man, enjoying uh, weekdays with Danny Parkins and um, and uh, and enjoying my Sunday mornings talking to you. Thank you for that. You're you're very welcome. I uh, I don't think you know this, but I, I find this most interesting. Our present uh, manager of the White Sox uh, has a thing about resting people, and to a degree, I do understand that. Mm-hmm. I, I really do. To a degree. Having said that. Do you know that last year, not last year, the Houston Astros, which I think are a pretty good team and continue to play good ball, do you know they rested their top three players for the entire year now? This is a total, seven times. Correa, Altuve, and who are you putting third? Bregman? I'm sorry. I don't have that in front of me. I just remember the statistic. Okay. They rested him a total of seven times. That's a total, yeah. yeah. And they did pretty good doing that. Yeah. 
Well, your 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 best players ought to play. That's for sure. But um, they, you know, every once in a while they do need some rest. I'll, I'll say this: that Tony Larusa. Thanks for the call, John, and the kind words. Tony Larusa has used forty six different lineups in forty six games. Forty six different lineups in forty six games. Um, you got to know your people, and I hope that he has listened to or asks every once in a while. Some of those hitters probably would really, really like to know exactly where they're going to hit, who's hitting in front of them, who's hitting behind them, and just feel that comfort. We've certainly heard a a large array of former hitters express that on these airwaves, be it Scott Pudsednik or or Ron Coomer or others saying, for your routine, for uh, a decrease of anxiety, which is a big thing, that it'd be really, really good to know where you're going to hit who's in front and who's behind. But some people, it probably doesn't matter. Some people, it, it matters. Some people, it does. I, I hope that Tony has talked to his guys and figured that much out. And that, I don't know. 670, the score is where you are. One more hour to go. Later on next hour, what John Lester can teach us about Dallas Keuchel and vice versa. But Jim Deshays from Marquee Sports Network will do the next segment with me, Matt Spiegel, here on Hit and Run. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allowed 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months.